are the chief cornerstone, Lord. And then out from you came the apostles and the prophets, Lord, and we as the church build on those principles, Lord, never forgetting that you are the chief and the main point, Lord, the absolute cornerstone. We thank you for that rock which we have, Lord, the truth of who you are, that we might say you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Lord, help us to have ears to hear this morning. Help us to see you afresh, Lord, as we start going through the book of Luke. Help us to be disciples of you, Lord, we pray. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, all. Great to see you. Uh, before I start, happy birthday, Peter. Now, Peter has turned 50, so happy birthday, Peter. <laughs> I was going to ask Cleone if you slept in. Once you hit 50, it might be hard to get up. I'm not sure. But it's great to see you here on time. So that's super. <laughs> okay, we're going through Luke. Uh, as Jeff said, uh, and I was so pleased that we decided to go through the Gospels, my favourite books in the New Testament, the Gospels, showing us how Christ walked, what he said, what he did, and ultimately where he went. And so it's great to look at this, uh, this book of Luke. Um, with this, as Jeff said, that the speakers can virtually, if they're given a chapter, to choose what they want to speak on. Some might do a whole overview, or some might do five verses and one little story out of that whole chapter, depending on what touches them. And so for me, for Luke chapter 1, I'll quickly do an introduction to Luke, the whole gospel of what kind of man we know who wrote this, uh, and so we'll look at that. Uh, but I've, I've chosen quite an unusual passage through Luke 1. Obviously, it's, um, it's got many things in it. It's a long chapter, uh, 80 verses. But I just want to look at a man, Zacharias. Some uh, translations have uh, Zechariah, the ESV will. That's the English translation for that name. And some, like your New King James, will have Zechariah. So I'm going to call him Zechariah. That's the English way to pronounce it. So if you think that's a wee bit odd, you'll know why I've done that. So Luke, the Gospel of Luke, who was he? Well, we know this Gospel was the first of a two-volume set, if you like, going through the history of redemption. Luke wrote two books. The second one was the book of Acts. In both of these, he addresses a man, the same man, Theophilus. Uh, he does it in Acts 1.1, and he will do it here in Luke chapter, uh, Luke 1 and verse, if I can see his name quickly, verse 3. And so it's addressed, both of Luke's um, books are addressed to this man. Luke being the longest book in your New Testament, uh, longer than any other book, and combined with the book of Acts, if we combine Luke as an author with the book of Acts, it means that he wrote one-fourth of the whole of the New Testament, more than any other writer. And that's something I didn't know before I looked into this. I always thought Paul, obviously he wrote the most books, but Luke and his writings were the longest. And so with these two books combined, the Gospel of Luke and Acts, they are and they represent the most comprehensive New Testament account of the history of redemption. The gospel, from when he started writing the gospel of Luke to the end of the book of Acts, spanned six and a half decades, from the birth of John the Baptist to the first imprisonment of the apostle Paul. 
Yet despite all this sufficient, this significant work that he wrote, we don't really know too much about this man who wrote them. His name appears three times in the New Testament, none of which are in his own writings. They're in Colossians 4, 2 Timothy 4, and Philemon verse 24. And so that's the only time Luke's name is written. We know that he was a doctor, a physician. Um, he was loved by the Apostle Paul, and he was with the Apostle Paul many, many times. Luke would have been a Gentile. His book was addressed to a Gentile man, and more than likely it's addressed or written for Gentile believers. That's the Gospel of Luke and also the book of Acts. And more than likely, this is why when we go through the Gospel of Luke, you'll find that the Aramaic words are missing, like rabbi, like Hosanna, like Golgotha, um, and like rabbi. And when it comes to a Jewish feast, you'll find that Luke explains what's a, what, what that feast is about, like the Passover in Luke 22, verses 1 and 7. So he actually extends and goes, this is what this is about, the Passover, they remembered because being written to Gentiles, they would not have understood this. So the purpose of Luke, what was the purpose of writing this book? Obviously to his friend Theophilus, to put things in order and set things out in an orderly fashion and teach him that he has been taught the truth. But the main theme of this is that God loves sinners. If there was a theme to run through Luke, it is God loves sinners. Sinners. Through this book, Luke pays particular attention to the outcasts of the Jewish um, society here. So going through this gospel, you'll find that the Gentiles are mentioned, the Samaritans are mentioned, the second class women are mentioned in this time, children are mentioned, tax collectors are mentioned, and lepers are mentioned, more than any other gospel writers. God offers repentance, repentance to sinful men and women and children. And so God love sinners like you and me. And that's why Luke is such a great book to go through. And so that's a brief introduction, if you like, to the gospel of Luke and the writer he was. Now, if I had a title and to quickly look through, it would be going through this. This first chapter is the promises of God the promises of God. And as we look at Zechariah, we'll see that firstly he faltered on the promises of God and then he come to know them very, very well in that nine months where he couldn't speak. But we'll look at this. And so Luke, and, and it's a lot to read, so bear with me. And we'll just go through, uh, firstly, Luke 1, and we'll start in verse 5, looking at really Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. Verse 5. There in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zechariah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and the ordinance of the Lord. They were blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. And so it was, that while they were while he was serving uh, as a priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood. His lot fell to burn incense uh, when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right-hand side of the altar. 
And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear came upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth is to bear a son, and you shall call this son John. And you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn away many, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit, the power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient uh, to the wisdom of the just, and to make ready the people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said to the angel, How can I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and was sent to seek you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, because you, sorry, but behold, you will be a mute and not be able to speak until that day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zechariah to come out, and they marveled that he'd lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, and for he beckoned them to uh, remain speechless. And so it was, as soon as the days of the service of the, was completed, that he departed to his own house. Now in those days his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself for five months. Thus the Lord had dealt with me, she said, in the days when he looked on me has taken away my reproach amongst the people. Just down to verse 57. Now Elizabeth, this is carrying on, uh, the, Lord, uh, the angel visits Mary in this time, but then nine months later, roughly. Now Elizabeth, full of time, came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. When the neighbors and the relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. And so it was at the eighth day when it came to circumcise the child that he would have, they would have given him the name as his father, Zechariah. His mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. But when they said to her, There is no one amongst your relatives that is named by this name. So they made signs to the father and what he should be called. And he asked for a writing tablet. He probably wouldn't have asked for one, but he would have signaled for one. And he wrote, His name shall be John. And they marveled at this. Immediately his mouth was open, his tongue loosed, and he spoke praising God. Then fear came upon all who dwelt around, and, and all these sayings were discussed throughout the hill country of Judea. And those who heard them kept them to, in their hearts, saying, What kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Now his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he prophesied, saying this, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised the horn of his salvation in the house of his servant David. And he spoke by, by the mouth of the holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies, and that the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, the holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, 
will be called a prophet of the highest, for you go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to people, to the forgiveness of their sins, to the tender mercies of our God, which, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And so he grew up and became strong in the spirit. And we'll leave it there. Wow, sorry, it's a lot of, a lot of reading through there, but I just wanted to take a different look, if you like, at this, this couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth. And as I say, for the title, it's the promises of God, the promises of God. Here we have two people, Zachariah and Elizabeth. What do we know about them? Well, both were righteous, both walked in the commandments of the Lord, both walked in the, the ordinance of the Lord. In fact, they were blameless before the Lord. But they also had a problem. They were under a heavy trial. They had no child. Maybe for the Western world now, where people decide young couples get married and they decide we won't have children. They look at their careers and go for it. Fine. But back in this day... It was like it was disgusting not to have children. There was something wrong. Was God judging you for certain sins or something you had done or something your parents had done? And so it was bad. And even Elizabeth talked about her reproach uh, later on. And so, and that's mockery or disdain of people that they could not give birth to a child. Samuel 1, first Samuel 1.10 says... To be childless was one of the bitterness of sorrows. And we know what happened to Hannah. And so let us remind ourselves that if we follow Christ, life is not always easy. It's not always a breeze to go through. Here we have Zechariah and Elizabeth, both blameless in the sight of the Lord. They're walking according to his commandments, according to his ordinance. They were righteous, says the Lord. And yet they were going through this heavy, heavy trial. And that's what sometimes happens to us. Going through with the youth or the YAG, the young people, uh, in our study every two weeks, we're looking at Joseph. And there's another example, one who walked close to the Lord, and yet he found himself in a pit, then he found himself being accused of rape, and then he found himself in jail. Then he found himself that when he did interpret dreams, uh, the cupbearer forgot. And so troubles come, sorrows come, trials come, and so it is for us to walk close to the Lord when they do come, as these couple did, Zechariah and Elizabeth. The afflictions of life should drive us nearer to Christ, nearer and closer to his word and to prayer, just like these two. Now we know from verse 8 that Zechariah was serving as a priest according to the custom of the priesthood. There was lots drawn, so there must have mean, that meant that there was a lot of people lining up, Lot was drawn, and Zechariah was the one to go into the temple and burn incense to the Lord. As he walks in there, just remember the history of this. 400 years God had not spoken from the prophet of Malachi to now in Luke. God had been silent. There was no major prophets. There was no major visions, and it seemed like he had abandoned Israel. And so here we have Zechariah. In the middle there, uh, burning incense at that altar. And there he finds himself at the right-hand side of it, 
an angel of the Lord. You can imagine Zechariah, how troubled he would have been. Here standing was a man, more than likely, as we know further on in, in, the, um, uh, in the Lord's tomb, they were white, dressed in white, that had been glowing just about. I'm not quite sure on wings, but straight away, Zechariah knew who it was. It was an angel. And great fear came upon him. And we don't want to go into the subject of angels too much, but in this, in Luke, as we start off, and in all the Gospels, they are, it, angels are the most frequent time when they are around. Angels announced his coming, angels proclaimed his birth, and angels rejoiced at his appearing. And by doing so, they made it plain that the one who had come to redeem sinners was far greater than all of the angels combined. He was the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He was greater than all the angels. Now, as it says, so Zechariah in verse 13 he was in fear. It seemed to me that he was in trouble. But the angel said to him, do not fear. Why? Why do not fear? Well, he carries on. Your prayer has been heard. So here we have a man. God hasn't spoken to Israel for 400 years. We have a man, a righteous man in, in the temple and an angel standing at the right side of the altar. He hears the words, do not be afraid, for I have heard your prayer. I'm sure if you're Zachariah, you'd be wondering to yourself, what prayer has he heard or have they heard in heaven? What prayer? Could it be that Zachariah, like anybody, would be thinking to himself, okay, what did I pray for last night? Okay, so I prayed that I'd honour God in the temple. I prayed that, you know, thank you for a lovely wife. Uh, thank you for the sheep and the camel, keep them safe. Thank you for, you know, so-and-so down the road and etc. And straight away through Zachariah's mind goes, what did I pray for last night? The only problem is it wasn't. It wasn't something he had prayed for last night. It is more than likely something that he and his wife Elizabeth had prayed 20 years before. And yet the angel comes to him and says, I have heard, we have heard your prayer. God has heard your prayer. And though it seems like it was just the prayer of the night before, it was more than likely because they were old. They were, they were old. Let's be honest. They were old. I don't, I'm not going to assume how old they are, but they were old. And they were past childbearing. So I don't know what that is in today's terms. And so he would have thought, you've heard my prayer and then the angel says, your wife will bear a son and you shall name him John. Surely as he'll think to himself, he hadn't prayed for that for so long, for decades even. But what a great comfort, comfort it is to us that even though our prayers of long ago, God still holds them. He still knows them. And maybe it has been that we've prayed for a loved one, for a child, for a grandchild who has walked out of church and never come back. They say they have trusted in atheism and they've gone away and we've prayed and we've prayed and we've prayed. What a great comfort it is to know that God holds our prayers. He doesn't let them go. And if he was to come to us and if we've prayed all our life, the angel could come to us and say, we have heard your prayer. We have heard just like it was yesterday. 
God's outside of time, and so he holds our prayers as they were just said yesterday. And so that could be a great and is a great encouragement to us. The angel says to him, you will have great joy and gladness because of this. But poor Zechariah in verse 18, how can this be? I am old, Elizabeth's old, it cannot be so. The angel then responds to him and says his name. I am Gabriel. Then he says his office. I'm the one who stands in the presence of God. I wonder now, Zechariah, filled with fear, humiliation, troubled, would have cast his mind back and remembered that 490 years ago it was Gabriel that met Daniel in Daniel 9 and 26. That Gabriel stood before Daniel and gave him that message that the Messiah would be cut off and told him about the 70 weeks and gave him that prophecy. And so here is this one, this, this mighty angel, the top angel in the ranks of heaven. Gabriel stands before him and says to him, I am the one who stands in the presence of God. You know, when I read that and thought about that, this is why I love reading scripture. And it's why I read scripture is the times when God talks to you. And sometimes you just get this, I don't know what happens to you, but my heart sinks as you get a greater revelation of who God is. And, and you're reading through and you just have to close the book or just push it away and ponder on these great thoughts of God and who he is. The angel says, you know, when I was reading this, the angel said, Gabriel, one of the greatest angels says I just stand in the presence of God. And I just thought, when I heard that, I just thought, how great is Gabriel? How great is this angel? I mean, it must have looked magnificent, him standing there at the right hand of the altar. Surely it was even Zachariah could have had itchy knees to fall down and worship this great being standing before him. And yet, Gabriel is nothing compared to the one who he is going to visit next, which is Mary, and say to her, this is the one who you're carrying in your womb. How great was the, the, the drop from where Christ was to where he came. We should stand in awe of Gabriel, but think of his message, that the one in whom he stands in the presence of is the one who is coming to be born of a woman, to walk amongst men, to die upon a cross, not just die for nothing, but take upon the sin of the world. So much greater than Gabriel. And yet he stands there, and I think what a mighty creation he is. But that's all he is, is a created being for the purposes of God. And yet God would come down and think of me and die for me. What amazing God we have. What amaz amazing saviour we serve. How much more when we ponder these things, should we live for him? Shall we worship him? Shall we pray to him? This, the creator of the angels, the creator of you and me, became my saviour. And that just searches my heart. We know Zechariah has doubts. He doubted the word of the angel of Gabriel. More than likely, he just couldn't speak. He probably couldn't hear also. It seems hard for a punishment because he doubted of a godly man who walked in the ways of the Lord. But Zechariah shouldn't have doubted. He should have known. 
He should have known from the old scriptures and the Old Testament, remembered them wonderful births of old. Isaac, Samson, and Samuel, all from old parents, where God comes, visits them, and says, you'll give forth a son. And so it's not like it wasn't done before. Zechariah should have known, but he didn't. He doubted the angel's words. And so it is with us. When we think of the promises of God, do we doubt them? Do we have like, even the church today, even some of the sermons I listen to today, they're questioning the second coming of the Lord Jesus. They're wondering, he's been gone a long time now, hasn't he? Where is his coming? Will he come again? Well, it's a promise of God that he will come and he will come and judge. And so we can hold fast to this. We can bank on it that he will come again. Now over to verse 55, uh, 57, Elizabeth now brings forth her son, John. And what happens? It says there that the neighbors and the relatives, they rejoiced at this. They rejoiced at the Lord's mercy to her. It seems such a small thing, but I love what um, J.C. Ryle says. He calls it a little grace, a little grace. He said, yet like, the, yet like the wheels, or sorry, like the oil on the wheels of some large machine, it may seem unimportant, and yet in reality it has an immense effect on the workings of this large machine. And so it is with the church, he said. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep for those who weep, says Romans. Jesus at the gravesite of Lazarus, what did he do? He wept. At the wedding of Canaan, he rejoiced. At the naming, Zechariah's mouth is opened. He wrote on the board, John, and that's uh, what he wanted this boy because Gabriel told him what to name him. And it says here, just as Jeff said, as he read, he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. Three things um, just to finish as he prophesied and look at his wonderful prophecy and also his um, hymn of praise, as some commentators have talked about. What was the first thing out of his mouth? Nine months of being a mute, nine months from not talking, nine months roughly that he could not hear. That's why he asked for a board. When his mouth is opened, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Surely he could have been discouraged. Surely he could have been angry. He could have been downcast at all that time. But it looks like for not speaking and not hearing, he had time to think about what had happened to him in that temple. And so the first thing he thought, when I get my mouth opened, I will praise and worship the God of Israel. And so he did. Worship comes out firstly from Zechariah. Secondly, notice how much Zechariah stresses on and lays on God's fulfillment of these prophecies. He declares that God has visited and redeemed or forgiven his people already. Speaking of it as in a manner of the prophets of old, how this thing that he had prophesied had already been accomplished. It was sure to take place. This is a stark contrast when he was in the temple, wasn't it? When he was told about the birth, no, uh, look, it won't happen. Well, it's going to be hard to happen because I'm old, my wife's old, and he didn't believe, he doubted. Now in praising God, 
He is praising him and prophesying about God has visited us and forgiven us from our sins. In other words, he has looked to the future and because God has promised it, it is already done. He has redeemed us. He has visited us. And so praise God, people are redeemed. And he carries on down here as well and we'll look at that. So his lesson had been learned. And let us not forget the promises of God as we go through Scripture. Embrace them. They shall never, ever fail. The world will, the flesh will, and the devil shall never prevail against God's promises. They are concrete. And thirdly and finally, he ends this hymn of praise, if you like, by addressing his son, John the Baptist. He foretells him that he'll go before the face of the Lord in verse 76. He'll give knowledge of salvation. This salvation, what will it be? Well, it will be all of mercy and all of grace. It will be a salvation that will lead to the forgiveness of sins. It will give light to them people who are walking in darkness, and it will guide our feet to the way of the peace of God. And so the question must be asked of us today as we go through this gospel, this good news that God has for us. Do we know the forgiveness of sins in our life personally? Have we passed from darkness to light? Do we know the peace of God? Listen what Jesus says, one of Jesus' promises in John 3 and 15. As Moses was lifted up in the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man will be lifted up. And that is true. So Moses lifted the serpent up so the people could be saved in the wilderness. So too the Son of Man will be lifted up on the cross. And so it was. But listen to what he says. This is a promise. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That is a promise of God, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Why? Because he carries on in John 3 and 16 that we all know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Another promise, that whoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life. It starts with a promise. Here we started with a promise, the promise of John, the forerunner of Christ. Later on in chapter 1, we have the promise of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, coming. And then he promised in this prophecy that he would go and forgive people for their sins, to bring us from darkness, in which we were, into light if we have trusted and believed on him. And the great thing is, is we can know the peace of God because of that prophecy was fulfilled. It was done. It was certain. And so the question is, is do we trust in that promise of God? Let us close in prayer. Father, we thank you so much that we just can come here and open your word. It is just so refreshing just to go through your wonderful, wonderful gospel. That good news that we all here walked in darkness. We all were blinded, but because of your great love, we can walk in the light and know your peace. May it be with all of us today here that we know your peace, that we walk in your light, and we trust in your promises. Father, thank you once again 
In the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you.